This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. The BFM Breakfast Grill, connecting you to the top people and ideas. Powered by U-Mobile. 5G now with you. BFM 89.9, I'm Chong Jensan and this is The Breakfast Grill. Feeling sick but don't want to visit a doctor physically or want to schedule an appointment but can't get through? Doctor Anywhere is a tech-enabled omni-channel healthcare service provider in Asia. Since its launch in 2017, it has grown exponentially to serve more than 1.5 million users across Southeast Asia. It is currently available in Singapore, Malaysia, Thailand, Vietnam and the Philippines. Joining us in the studio is Lim Waiman, founder and CEO of Doctor Anywhere. Thank you for joining us this morning. Waiman, in your website, the motto of Doctor Anywhere appears to be, we are on a mission to make healthcare simple, accessible and efficient for everyone. Can you give us an idea how the business started and what was the aha moment? I guess there was no epiphany, right, for Doctor Anywhere. Uh, when this company got started, it was really based on a very real issue that I saw on the ground. So it was part of kind of, a, you know, serving the community community, and it was kind of a delivering lunchboxes door to door in um, older estates in Singapore that I saw that there were lack of healthcare uh, accessibility uh, at the primary care level, even in Singapore. And uh, that was when I thought that, hey, you know, that's something that was um, interesting for me, right? And it's something that, uh, in a way, I, I saw a gap, put something together, put a team together to try to address the issue. So it wasn't really based on, you know, a, a very typical startup that you find a problem, you try to find a solution, and then you raise money to uh, to, to solve that problem, right? So it was more from really understanding the problem, worked on it, and eventually when ideas kind of uh, took off, well, initially it wasn't that easy as, as well, but when the idea took off, that's when we went out there to raise more funding to uh, kind of fuel the expansion of the company. Can we talk a bit about your revenue model? Is it mainly subscription-based or do customers have the option of just paying a one-off fee? Today, we don't do subscription model uh, per se, uh, you know, that you can just pay a fee and you can have unlimited consultation or unlimited supply of medication, right? Because that would have been uh, something that the insurer would be very good at doing uh, and we are not here to take risks. So where we are today, we are a health tech company. What it means is that we are health first and healthcare company first and we are enabled by technology. When we approach this, we would charge our user on a per consultation fees and also on a more uh, per delivery drop of medication. And that's how we charge. But obviously, you know, uh, then the question we get uh, uh, would be why, you know, how, how are we better? How are we different from a very traditional brick and mortar delivery of care that's already existing in the current market? Now, if, if we are operating at a very small scale, then I think that, yes, you know, indeed, we would be no different from uh, brick and mortar uh, delivery of care. Uh, but as we scale up, that's when I think most startups will start to be very different from traditional businesses. Because when we, what we are building at the product level, at the back-end level, is made to scale up. That means when we start to scale up, that's where we really differentiate from everyone else, right? Because when, when, when we are made that way, the tech enablement of it makes it so efficient that at a 
much larger scale, the cost comes down. The there will be many other doctors on the platform who will be able to see even more patients, and the time to see a patient would have been reduced um, dramatically because of tech enablement. We use algorithm, you know, uh, AI to help our users. Uh, to help our providers to serve our users better, more intimately, understanding their problems even before they get onto the platform, and in that way, we are able to be serving our users in terms of accessibility, definitely lowering the cost because of technology, and eventually, it is still a very quality healthcare that we're talking. Right, global telehealth standards were a source of controversy last year, with some companies accused of operating as pill mills, resulting in regulatory scrutiny. Virtual care will increasingly be held to the same clinic standards as in-person care. What sort of regulation are we seeing for telehealth, especially in Southeast Asia? That's a very good question. Um, you know, when we look at any new business, issue always is that the regulation will always take some time to catch up with regulating a new uh, segment of a business. It's very important for founders out there, business owners out there to understand that at the end of it, the company, the business model needs to have a moral compass. So what we have done right from the start is that you know we do have our own internal panel of uh, doctors. Um, some some companies call it medical boards and so forth, but we do have that uh, internally to help us look at our process a lot more robustly to help us make sure that whatever that we do, it's always for the patient's safety and health. So in that case, um, we would never run into the issue of you know trying to uh, just be selling pills to our to our users, but always because we understand that there's a gap in primary care, in secondary care, and we are here to fill the gap, more so than the business first. You are now present in five countries, have 2.5 million users, 3,000 general practitioners and specialist doctors, 1,000 corporate customers and 500 team members. Can you walk us through what the process is like in terms of restrictions or obstacles when you penetrate a new country? Would you need a partner and to get approval from the respective health ministries? We operate in Singapore, that's where our headquarter is and then also in Malaysia, Thailand, Vietnam, Philippines and we just launched um, Indonesia last year. It's it's not easy, especially so from a company a startup from Singapore, right? Because um, Singapore is uh, it's a very small country, very developed, yes, but very small. But as we expand outside of um, Singapore, that's when I think it becomes a very different environment and I think for most Singapore-based or Singaporean founders, that, that itself is a problem. That's when we do consider trying to work with local partners. So, for example, uh, in the Philippines, we we have a very, very solid local partnership with one of the big HMO, uh, what we call health maintenance organization owner. And that partnership has turned out very, very well for us. Right. So just within the span of um, seven months, the company, the JV has turned profitable. Right. And when as, as we looked at other models in Southeast Asia for us, there are some countries that we still prefer to fully own it, right? Because we we, we do see that those countries are of very strategic importance to Doctor Anywhere and we prefer to have 100% ownership whereas there are other countries that we say hey you know we definitely do need the help of a local partner that's when we start to search for a partner uh, to work with to for us to expand our operations locally What other countries are you targeting and what goals have you set for your management team? So for this year and 
I would say probably next, we would be a lot more focused on going deeper into the various countries that we are in. You know, initially when we first started off the company, it was really based on uh, the three key things that we were targeting. targeting. A, providing accessible healthcare. B, affordable. And C, quality. So that was, I would say, you know, the Doctor Anywhere version 1.0. But I think this year and beyond, um, we are looking at upping the game, I would say, in terms of technology, we we want to now provide personalized, borderless, and inclusive health. Now, let me explain a little bit on this. When we think about healthcare, it's actually a space that is very reactive, right? And to be honest, in the last 10 minutes that we are talking, none of us have actually been thinking about our health. And that is the truth. And because our health is not in trouble right now, and that's why we don't think about it. Only when things happen to our health, that's when we suddenly, it becomes a top priority and we start to look for solutions. That's why it's a high Highly reactive space, but at the same time, it's also very personal. If today you have a flu and I start talking to you about diabetes, honestly, you don't care, and that is that is correct. And why should you? And vice versa. That is when high healthcare needs to be a high touch business. We need to reach out to every single one of our users and say, "Hey, what's your problem today? And how can I help?" The problem with high touch business always is that it's very expensive to operate because you, in theory, you need thousands of consumers to help manage that. That is not possible and that's too expensive. But with technology, with AI, with machine learning, I think that's when it's very possible to be able to understand each and every one of our users at a very personal, intimate level, to be able to push messages to them that we know that it concerns them. So if we do know that you are pre-diabetic, we will be sending out diabetic information to you on how to take care of your health so and so forth. And that becomes very personal for you and then you will listen. Borderless. Second one, in Southeast Asia, again, Doctor Anywhere is the only company with meaningful operations across Southeast Asia. And for us, then the question becomes, how do we tie all the countries together and allow someone to be able to find the most appropriate care within Southeast Asia and not just where they stay? And that is also highly linked to inclusive, right? So it doesn't matter where you stay, where you're born, how deep your pocket is, how big your wallet is. You tell us the budget, we find you the most appropriate care given your budget in Southeast Asia where we operate. So that's where I think uh, we really want to move towards in terms of the business model in the next few years. And Waiman, I would imagine that the business was thriving during the COVID-19 lockdowns. How has this changed since the restrictions were lifted and are you seeing an apparent drop in virtual care utilisation? We are still seeing very strong month-on-month growth. It's, I think at this point in time when we look at our own numbers, we do think that consumer behaviour has changed for very simple primary care cases, our users actually do prefer to just seek solutions online. And increasingly, we are also seeing a lot more virtual appointments being made with our medical specialists. So, uh, and, and that's also one of the reasons why we decided, you know, as a company, we uh, we will want to get into medical specialist care. Last year, December, we acquired a Singapore-listed company called Asian Healthcare Specialist uh, for us to, you know, quickly get exposure into this space uh, and bring the 15 specialists and still expanding special group of specialists online to serve more patients across Southeast Asia. So what medical services are the most popular for Doctor Anywhere and has this changed uh, pre and post lockdown? Still very much the same in terms of the growth across our various segments. Let me explain. Virtual care, which 
is, you know, virtual clinic, going online to see a doctor, that is something that is still growing. But where we do see a lot of demand coming in also is actually into home-based services. We do operate mobile clinic as well, where we send our team of healthcare providers to either our home of our users or to the corporate you know, office and we do health screening, vaccination for our uh, corporate clients as well. And I think that's where increasingly there is a lot more inquiries coming in for us to, to enable that service. What is the process when recruiting doctors? What sort of assurance can you give your customers that they are qualified and more importantly, ethical? I know you talk, talked about businesses having to have a moral compass, but can you elaborate a little bit more about this? Right from the very start, we understand that when it comes to a user's health, there is it's very important for us. It's Imagine we are asking our users to consume a poison that our doctor prescribed, right? So that itself, by the way, also comes with a lot of liability. For us, it's very important to make sure that when we select our doctors to be able to practice online, there is actually an interview process by various in-house doctors that we have to make sure that these are the people who have done, who have been able to qualify to get into to, to practice on our online platform. B, we do background checks on them. Not any different from how you would recruit somebody as an employee. Step three, we would make sure that the doctor or every doctor that we bring on, on board them onto our platform has to go through training. And at the end of the training, we do make sure that we test them to make sure that they are now, they pass the test and they are proficient enough to get onto our virtual clinic to practice. Even after that, we do have very regular check-ins uh, in terms of you know quality check, we do have history shopping on our own doctors to make sure that all of them are providing you know that standard of care that we have prescribed to them and make sure that the quality doesn't come down even over time. On the breakfast grill this morning is Lim Waiman, founder and CEO of Doctor Anywhere. When we come back, we will speak to him about his views on their financials, fundraising exercises and potential exit strategy. BFM 89.9. You are listening to The Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile. 5G now with you. BFM 89.9, welcome back to The Breakfast Grill. In the hot seat is Lim Waiman, founder and CEO of Doctor Anywhere. Before the break, we spoke on how the business started, the slew of medical services and regulatory scrutiny. Waiman, Doctor Anywhere has been ranked third out of 100 in the fastest growing companies in Singapore, compiled by the Straits Times and Data Company Statista. This is based on the company's revenue growth from 2018 to 2021. Can you give us an idea what growth you saw last year in 2022 and are you profitable already? Yeah, experienced good growth last year as well, probably in the 80 to 100 percent range of growth. But I, I would think that, you know, in terms of when we look at other, other metrics, I think those are more important, especially in today's environment where a lot of investors, they pay a lot more attention to profitability of a company, more so than growth. And then again, that is a very different picture from even just one and a half years ago. So you brought up a very good point, a very important point about profitability. When we look at our business across our Southeast Asia, there are countries that are already profitable. Like just now I mentioned, Philippines is already profitable. We look at Singapore, it's already profitable. There are other countries like Malaysia, Thailand, we are very near to cash flow neutrality. And Vietnam is, you know, again, a business that we have been looking at for some time, been there, and it's not burning a lot of money as well. So I would say that as a company, as a whole, in terms of local operations, a lot of them are already either near to cash flow neutral or profitable. I think where we spend most of our capital on is really on our 
our product and engineering team, making sure that we are reinvesting whatever gross profit we get from our businesses into the product and engineering team to build products that will enable us or give us a competitive advantage over time. And that's how we need to make sure that the company continue to grow with a great product out there. Can we talk about fundraising and valuations now? It was reported in August of 2021 that you went through a Series C financing round raising Synced 88 million, which is one of the largest private funding rounds ever raised by a health tech company in Southeast Asia, including the total capital raised from your earlier rounds. This amounts to about 140 million. Can you give us an idea what the post-money valuation is after Series C and what is this based on in terms of multiples? <laughs> Not in the liberty to share these numbers, I would say. You know, these are still very private uh, numbers that we're looking at. But I would say that, you know, as we look across our peers, you know, Doctor Anywhere, in terms of valuation, we have always been very reasonable. Uh, our valuation is never demanding and, and that's a good reason for it. Uh, for myself, in my previous life, I, I've been in the investment world. So I was on the other side where I was actually deploying capital, investing in the companies. And for myself, I've seen how earlier high valuation would, you know, over time, if you expose yourself to a very cyclical investing environment, what will eventually cause a company to lose credibility is actually what we call a down round. So what it means is that at a at a certain time in the company's life, you go out there and you ask for a very high valuation on your own company. Yes, you may to raise money, all good, because at a point in time, it was very hot, hot sector, for example. But again, because valuation of a company is equals to fundamental of the company multiplied by the mood of the market. So if the mood of the market is not good and it starts to come down, the valuation comes down and that's when we call a down round happen. And when a down round happen, it affects a lot of people. Your investors become angry. Your employees become disappointed because you, we would have given what we call employees the options to our own team of leadership, you know, to some very important employees as well. And when it comes to down round, what it also could mean is that whatever effort that they have accumulated in the past couple of years, they are now becoming useless. For us, we always want to make sure that as a company, valuation is always very undemanding. We would rather it be to be on an uptrend slower than to have fluctuation up and down. All right. If you look at some of the listed companies like, say, Teledoc, Docsmitty or even GoodRx, Teledoc's share price is close to its all-time lows, about 18 to 90% off its peak of about 300 US dollars a share, trading at now about $30 a share, trading at under two times trailing 12-month sales. How does your Series C valuation compare with the current valuation we are seeing in the public market? We are not far away from some of these comparables, I would say. Now, but having having said that, we do have quite a different business model. Te- Teledoc and so forth, they are more of a subscription based business model it's very it's, it's a buffet right you pay you, you pay one price and then you can consume as many times in the whole in the whole year and I think if you look at their numbers profitability is an issue and I think even visibility to being profitable is something that they are struggling with as well for us at Doctor Anywhere we right from the onstart and maybe because of my training in investments we have always been very disciplined to make sure that we don't do business that has got I would say negative gross margin meaning that you know the more you sell, the more you lose. So we don't ever do that. We make sure that whatever that we sell, everything that we sell, it has got to make at least a gross margin. And that then gives us hope that over time, as we scale up our whole business, we become profitable and there's no turning back. Are you going for a Series D with the era of low rates over? Is it more difficult now to raise capital? I think it's always been very 
I would say difficult, but raising money is always something that is very tough for any companies out there because it's a lot of uh, storytelling, you know, asking investors to believe in you, so and so forth. Uh, even during good times, I would never say that it's a very easy thing to do. Having said that, I think the environment has changed drastically in the past 12 to 18 months. You you are looking at many companies or startups out there who might actually face bankruptcy in the next, I would say, 6 to 12 months. Uh, funds are running out, I would say. This is the time when I, I see in the market that there are even more capital being drawn to emerging winners. So em- emerging leaders, emerging winners in a particular sector or in a particular geography, that's where I think a lot more capital is still being attracted to them. And we do believe at Doctor Anywhere, we, again, we are the only company with the kind of exposure in Southeast Asia. We are, you know, we believe that in terms of revenue size, we are, we are probably one of the larger ones as well. Because of that, we are still seeing interest from investors to talk to us about what would potentially help us to grow even bigger. The, the next theme, I believe, would be that there will be a lot more capital to fund larger startups to acquire smaller companies. So the next, in a, in a very typical m and cycle, there is always a part where if there is what we call the consolidation phase, meaning that down market, companies with good business model, in a way, fundamentals still not as good. They run out of money and that's when the big guys will come in to acquire them and feed them and put them on into their own business model. And I think that is happening right now and will extend in the next 12 to 18 months. What is the exit strategy for Doctor Anywhere? Are you leaning to a trade sale or an IPO eventually? In a way, we don't really think about things that way. We we always, when we look at building a company, it's always about building a great product and exit will come as a byproduct. But if you were to ask me in terms of how I view the market personally, I would think that right now, maybe second half of this year, there will be a bit more interest in terms of investors really coming back to the market to invest in, to deploy their capital. I do think that uh, next year might be a great time to potentially lease a company. Uh, but we're also very careful that, that there is no rush for us where I think in terms of prioritization, definitely for us is making sure that we have a good, we have a great product. You know, the operations is, is well run, making sure that there's, there are no single point of failures. And these are the things that we prioritize way more than just finding an exit for our investors at this point. But a key risk is still cyber attacks and concerns over privacy of sensitive medical data, highlighting the hazards of new technology adoption. How do you balance this? And are you collaborating with any cybersecurity providers? So we do work with a few of the cybersecurity providers and we do have an in-house team as well. Uh, you you absolutely nailed it when you said that it's a very important topic across not just healthcare startup, but I would say that, you know, even any other consumer-based startup out there, you know, who have been collecting consumer information would care about this topic. But now, especially so in healthcare, because it's very personalized, like I mentioned earlier on, uh, that's something that we make sure that we do all the tests, we do all the patches on a very regular basis. And we do work with great partners, right? Like your, your AWS or Google to make sure that, you know, our system uh, is, or it can never be 100% hacker-proof, right? But making sure that, you know, we try our best to work with our partners to, to have a very robust defense system out there. According to Precedence Research, the global telehealth market is projected to surpass $225 billion by 2030 from just $48 billion last year. So this is a compounded annual growth rate of nearly 19%. What would be the key driver for this and how important is the role of the government? I would say the government will play a very big role 
in so-called getting the, the whole sector to take off. Uh, I, I have seen that personally in Singapore. When we first started off, the government of Singapore on the back of a very good objective of making sure that Singapore go digital, then everything else, and one of them being healthcare, would want to be digital as well. That's when I think the government started to form a sandbox program and to invite private companies like ours to get into the sandbox to, in a way, softly endorse a sector. And because of that, providers start to be feeling a lot more at ease to now participate in something that's new. Consumers start to come in to consume and that's when the sector eventually took off. So so back to your question, I think the support of government is something that uh, you, you, you cannot ignore. In the next wave, we do see that because throughout the whole pandemic, it has really shown that digitalizing or tech-enabling healthcare in any country, in any form, is very important. If you don't want to be hit by another healthcare sector issue in the next pandemic, I think all of all the government out there right now must be looking at this and say, hey, there's something that we need to do at a minimum. And that's something that, you know, we do have conversations with the local government in the countries that we operate. And all of them right now, they are very supportive trying to grow this space. On that note, thank you for your time. Today on The Breakfast Grill was Lim Wyman, founder and CEO of Doctor Anywhere. I am Chong Jensan, BFM 89.9. The BFM Breakfast Grill is brought to you by U-Mobile. 5G now with you. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.